We are continuing this morning through Isaiah 40 on this second Sunday of Advent. And our passage we'll be considering together this this morning is uh, taken from verses 6 through 8, but I'd like to begin in verse 5 since it provides actually a foundation for what follows. And that had occurred to me after looking at this for so long, and then I backed up and like, <laughs> it's right there. Wow. Okay, so let's pray, and then we will look at God's word together this morning. Father, make your presence apparent in our midst. Glorify yourself as we open up your word this morning, Lord, that you would open it up and plant it in our hearts and transform our minds with it. So that, Lord, that we would gain all the more appetite for your word and cling to it for dear life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. As we consider verses 6 to 8 here, when taken in context, what's stated in these three verses is one of the most potent expressions of our need to understand our, our dependence entirely upon the Word of God for all of life and for our entire well-being. It's no wonder that the uh, Jews have had a long tradition of referring to the Word of God as the tree of life. Our lives depend on it more than we may know, and we could do better to rely on it more every day, every moment. These verses, when taken in the full context of the rest of the chapter, explain powerfully the value and the beauty of the encouragement found in the opening words of comfort and the certainty of the revelation of God's majestic glory yet to come, as well as the encouragement found in the rest of the chapter and also 
beyond that throughout the whole book, really. Magnifying God himself along with more promises and with the view to the greatness and the authority and the reliability of the one who makes those promises and words of comfort that we can count on them because we count on him who spoke them to us. It also reminds us of God's sovereign grace and his faithfulness in dealing with the surrounding nations as well as those he calls his own from the precious or from the previous chapters. And it sets our minds on what will make a difference for God's people going forward. How will we get to where we see God glorified in our midst? Where does our hope and help come from? Where is our security? Where do we look for our rescue and our deliverance? Certainly not the flesh but to God's word. Last Sunday's theme was of Advent, on, on the Advent calendar was that of hope. Today is peace. I believe that the voice that says cry out is giving us that path to peace. And it sets such a contrast before us that there is left no question as to where we should, where we must put our trust in order to gain and rest in that peace. What the prophet is told to cry out here illustrates to us the sweetness of the last words of verse 5. For the mouth the Lord has spoken. Those ought to be sweet, wonderful, amazing words to us. Words of comfort. Oh, what a beautiful thing to hear. If it is the Lord Almighty who said it, enough is said. It is good enough. It's as good as done. We can trust it because it is God who says it. That's why it's called God's word because it is God who stands behind those words and it is God who utters them. It's more than words on paper. And it's a sure thing and that's good enough for you and for me. Numbers 23, 19 verifies that truth to us about the character of God and his word this way. God is not a man who lies or a mortal who changes his mind. When he says something, he will do it. <laughs> and, who and when he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. That's the message here. That's the message. <laughs> I have more. We're going to expand on it. That would have been a short sermon, wouldn't it? <laughs> so let's unpack it together. 
when the voice in verse 6 says cry out, we are given a clear indication just how vital to our hope this should be, the very words in this last statement. To hear, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, should settle any worries we have. So these verses are drawing our attention to the fact that the assurance that it is God himself who utters and stands behind these words of comfort and assurance. And it gives us a powerful picture of why we need to rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then to convince us all the more that his word cannot be doubted or challenged the rest of the chapter sets before us the superiority of God who is behind these words over every nation, over every obstacle, every, over everything that would oppose us and his purposes for us and is sufficient to deliver us on his words and will carry us by his infinite power to the destination he has for us. The end of chapter 55 reinforces this about his word when it says, it, is not, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. See, this whole theme travels all the way through to chapter 55. And then the prophet asks, what shall I cry? And when he asks that, he's actually giving us a preview and is modeling the answer that follows. Because rather than assuming what he ought to say and coming up with something of his own words and his own imagination as to what he ought to cry out, he asks for the right words to speak in dependence on God. So that he is speaking the words of God and not his own. Not relying on the flesh. can err so often. The first takeaway from the statement that all of humanity is like grass that withers is that we are quite frail. We are vulnerable to loss and failure and defeat. We are often unfaithful. We all have natural limitations. We are finite by nature. So why would we rely on finite. We are flawed due to the fall and our own sin and subject to the judgment or the mercy of God. But we were never meant to act out of our own initiative independent of God even before the fall because we're creatures. And that's a big distinction between the creature and the creator. He is independent, we are not. He is self-sufficient, we are not. 
He is all-knowing. We are not. And we could go on and on and on. We are subject to and dependent upon the will of God as expressed in his word to us. And nothing in all creation happens apart from God's permission. We saw that in Job. It is by the breath of God that we live. And by his breath that is at his discretion and his decree that we continue to live or die according to his good purposes and his mercy and grace. So why would we think that we can act out of our own limitations and expect a permanent and satisfying outcome? Why would we try to act out of our own imagination and ideas rather than seeking God's input and going with that? Why would that which perishes persist at relying on that which perishes and expect a non-perishable outcome. <laughs> that sounds something very similar to something Einstein said about stupidity. Let me say it again. Why would that which perishes persist at relying on that which perishes and expect a non-perishable outcome? Why have faith in that which fades away to dust when we have the word of the one who is eternal and almighty and everlasting and has infinite power? It's the object of our faith, you see, that makes all the difference in the efficacy of that faith. And certainly in the outcome. God alone is infinite and unchangeable. And so his word is the same. Because he is the one who spoke it. Only God can stand behind his words with absolute certainty of a lasting outcome. Why put our hope anywhere else? Settle for less. That's the second takeaway we should get from the fact that all flesh is grass. But there is much more to this. There is actually great encouragement in these words, and they were meant that way, not as something of fear and the threat and this kind. They were meant as great encouragement and they were meant to cause us to trust in the word of God, but also to see what to rely upon and to remember what he has already done. And to live in anticipation of what he will do based on the faithfulness of his promises. The fact that all flesh is grass should excite us to the fact that it includes all who try to stand against God's will that he has for us. 
The third takeaway is that the assurance is that if all grass that withers That includes now. When we consider where the rest of the chapter and the following chapters take us, we see that he had in mind that the obstacles presented by the surrounding nations who stand against God's people and his purposes, that's really what he had in mind. That that nothing will stand against him and his purposes for his people. Those obstacles are grass. The breath of God is his spirit and life to those who trust in him, that they are judgment on those who oppose him. And it is devastating. When we lived in Southern California, the uh, weather would quite often at certain seasons give a forecast of a wind that would come in that everybody braced for, and usually you'd just want to kind of stay inside, crank up the air conditioning. They called it a Santa Ana because it blew in from the desert, from the east, and it blew in. It was not only hot, but it was dry. And the combination of that with the fact that it was wind, can you imagine the static? what would happen across the grass and the fields and the forests. All it would take is enough static to create a spark of devastation. The breath of God, that doesn't even measure to the breath of God. And that's more internal than it is external. No one wants to stand against God. You know, I remember when Jesus uh, confronted Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus. The thing that he said when he was asked, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. And he followed that up with an interesting statement. He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. See, when someone persecutes God's people, he takes it personally and he acts on it. See, and that's that's our comfort that we have. That God acts on our behalf. And that's what, the, that's what the assurance is here. When he says all flesh is grass, he's speaking of all these who oppose the work of God, who he has already said. I mean, you go back to, all the way back to what? 
chapter 13, all the way up to 39, and we hear all these burdens, all these places where God has said, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is what I am going to do. And then the promise going forward of deliverance. God is going to do something that was more remarkable than the exodus out of Egypt. It's kind of hard to do a repeat act. <laughs> to bring them back again? Wow. And in a more spectacular way. It's one thing to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's another thing to transform the heart of Cyrus. So Cyrus says, hey, I'm going to send you all back. I'm giving you freedom of religion. I'm going to send you all back. Rebuild. I'm going to give you everything that was taken. God did that. And he paved the way, as was said earlier in the chapter, cleared the path so that he was glorified bringing his people back to the land just as he promised. God is a God who keeps promises not just because he's faithful, but because he is able. When he says it, he will do it. Another way that it's expressed later on in Isaiah, in chapter 43, verses 3 and 4, it expands on it this way. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt in your, as your, for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you and nations in exchange for your life. That's what happens when God blows on the grass. Nothing and no one can stand in God's way or present an obstacle too big for him to overcome for the sake of his people and so that we all the more put our full trust in him alone. It should remind us of the assurance God gave to Joshua in Joshua 1.5, no man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Period. <laughs> this exhortation, just a few verses down in verse 8 in Joshua, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth all the days of your life. This book of the law. Just as I... Excuse me, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth all the days of your life. You shall meditate on them day and night. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That's why we rely upon the Word of God. He elaborated on this later in the chapter, continuing to make the point.
for their and for our encouragement. He compares all nations collectively against God's sovereignty. Listen to portions from verses 12 to 15. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Verse 13, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult or enlighten him and taught, or, or who taught him the right way? And then verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. And then down in verse 22 and following, God through Isaiah assures us even more why he directs us to his word as that which stands forever as opposed to people and nations that come and go and pass away uh, by his decree. The breath that speaks truth into our lives. He says this, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. This is why saying that all flesh is like grass is meant to be such encouragement to God's people. That there is no doubt that He can and will deliver on His promises to deliver and save. And so we cling to His word for assurance, that word that he says is everlasting, that endures forever. And then in verses 28 and 29 is this, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow weary or tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. The one big takeaway from the eternal endurance of the word of God is this. The declaration made in verses 6 to 8 announced all this good news to God's people and then, then and now so that we need not worry about what goes on around us in our nation, in the world, because he is sovereign over it all. And he is our deliverer, our redeemer, our savior. In him and in his word, we have peace in the midst of chaos. We can, we can trust his word for all of life. After all, his word has been tested and proven 
to be faithful for generations. We should know by now that whatever God promises, he is good for it. We have a long record of it. Not only in scripture, but in our own lives. We can stake our lives on it. That's the point. And that's why we believe the gospel. For those of us who've been reading through Isaiah, hope most have, if not all, right? Then uh, if you've been reading through it, we've seen that throughout Isaiah, is promised and it is anticipated the final deliverer and redeemer. The song Emmanuel, as we were hearing it, I was thinking, yeah, that's the message. That's the message all the way through Isaiah. We see Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the living word made flesh, is written all over it. And in him, is eternal life. Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room, he said, speaking of the word, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Before quoting these verses from uh, Isaiah, Chapter, uh, or excuse me, verses six to eight. Peter wrote this in his first letter in the first chapter, verse 23. He said, for you have been born again, not a perishable, <laughs> not a perishable, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He picked up on that. <laughs> That's what it does for us. You have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And after quoting then Isaiah 6 to 8, he said this, he followed up with this, and this is the word that was preached to you. Is also life. And that word has been passed down to us. We are making, the question is, are we making the best use of it? Do we really understand its transforming power and how desperately we need it for life and godliness? Oh, one of the most horrifying statements ever in all of Scripture in opposition to this. is when it talks about a famine that is the greatest famine that could ever be experienced in the entire human race, and that is a famine of the Word of God. And there are places in the world that are experiencing that. They have no access to the gospel. And if Desert Menace Prager is right about us being in the midst of the most secular time in human history, we're getting close to that. 
we need to turn more and more and take seriously the need of our dependence upon what God has to say to us in his word. Second Peter 1.3 says this about the word of God also. He has given us valuable and superlatively <laughs> great promises so that through them you might come to share in God's nature and escape the corruption which evil desires have brought into the world. That's our best and only real hope for lasting personal peace in the midst of the chaos. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, how much we need to cling to your word. Help us do that. We can't live without it. So apply these words to our hearts. Transform our minds with it. Turn our minds. Turn the way that we think away from everything that opposes your purposes. Cause us to cling to the assurances of your word And Lord, help us to see how it reveals you to us so that we know you more deeply. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me now uh, to sing, O oh, praise.